Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 5, verses 39 through 47. You search the scriptures because you think you give, because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father, Moses will accuse you, yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Kathy. It's a charming verse, isn't it? I really feel edified and encouraged. You know, it's, uh, as, I've, as I've been diving further and further into the words of Jesus for this series, All Eyes on Jesus, I, uh, I have to admit um, that there, there, there's not a verse I'm reading that is new because I've grown up in the church. Um, but I'm reading these words and I'm saying, I feel like I haven't read this in a very, very long time. Um, and every week there's a new level of clarity about how clear Jesus was when he spoke, when he gave direction. And even in his parables, there's, there's just real clear things to pull out. Um, so again, uh, the words of Jesus are more than just letters and, uh, and words on a page. Um, as we dive into them, we're going we're gonna to see how they apply to every layer of our lives. In this passage, um, Jesus, we're jumping right in the middle of a conversation. So um, I encourage you to read uh, that whole uh, interaction because Jesus comes in uh, and sees the, the man who's been sick for 38 years sitting at the pool of Bethesda, and he asks him if he wants to be healed. And he says, yeah, but I can't get into the pool. Someone always gets in before me. And Jesus heals him. It just happened to be on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees see this. And, um, and the, the, we jump into this part of the conversation where they begin to accuse Jesus of breaking this Sabbath law. Uh, I said this in Sunday school, and um, this is a clarity that has just kind of popped into me, but I want to say it to us broadly. Um, these Pharisees were doing their job according to the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, the Torah. Their job was to, was to be out among the people and make sure that the law was being fulfilled. Um, I've never, up until literally a few weeks ago, I have never viewed Pharisees um, in this way, that they actually function more as police officers than they do pastors. 
where they're just there to observe. And when there's a law being broken, they go and tell you about it. And it was, and it was for the righteousness of the nation of Israel. In many respects, um, and this is from uh, a guy that I've been reading uh, covering the book of John. In many respects, um, the Pharisees were, were needed. They helped keep order. They helped keep things in line with what God had laid down. The issue was not that they were coming to say, hey, we have a Sabbath and we keep it holy. We do not work. We do not do this. The issue was that the Son of God was standing right in front of them saying, I have a new way of living and there's a new covenant that is going to be secured through my blood. The Son of God stood in front of them and they couldn't see it. And we're going to take a look. Jesus begins to unpack why they couldn't see it. And, and so in this verse, um, Jesus uses very strong, uh, very direct dialogue. Um, and we jump right in to verse 39. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. Understand when Jesus says you search the scriptures, he's not talking about what we understand as the Bible today. Um, it didn't exist at that point in time in history. Um, much of it hadn't been written yet. When he's saying you search the scriptures, he is specifically talking about the Torah the law of Moses that had been carefully kept and guarded and, and uh, copied. And it was, it was this intense, specific list of do's and don'ts and um, the things that, are, that, that God required of his people in order to live as his people. And he's saying, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Jesus was, was really kind of uh, keeping, keeping this one clarity that, that I just said, but just keeping it really in front of them. If, if you're being condemned because, uh, you're not being condemned because of how much you know or what you're devoted or your level of devotion. Jesus' condemnation for the Pharisees was that they refused the eternal life he was offering. The Pharisees were so focused on what was right, and I said this last week, and that was the Holy Spirit moment, but the Pharisees were, were, were so focused on what was right that they couldn't see truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, directly in front of them, and then Jesus says um, to them that, that this is not, this is not what I have for you, I have something more for you. And I have to look at that and I have to admit that when I'm the author of my own righteousness, which is religious systems, traditions, legalism, thinking too highly of myself, I tend to believe that God needs my approval. And he states very clearly in verses 42, 41 and 42, your approval means nothing to me. And this is what he is directly calling out in these Pharisees. 
and you say, maybe like me, you might say, well, that's harsh and I'm not, it's not me. I want us all just to take a deep breath. And I, man sees the outside, God sees the heart. So as we go into this scripture, as we continue through this, I want us all to practice this statement. Say, you might be right. So say it with me. Okay. Because when I read that, there's a defensive part of me that kicks in. I'm just like, well, no, that's for the Pharisees, and I'm not a Pharisee. But there's a possibility that we all have the same propensity to do what the Pharisees did. And so when the Holy Spirit or Scripture or something kind of rubs against that, we just practice the statement, you might be right. And then we let it go on by. <laughs> uh, and, th- and that gives the Lord some room to speak to us. So, we land in this place. So, according to uh, the Guinness World Records, uh, as of 1995, um, the Bible is the best-selling book. That's not new information. Um, but it, with an estimated 5 billion copies sold and distributed. And I'm pretty sure that the Bible gets a new Guinness book like plaque every year because it's like, yep, still the best. Um, and, and think about the enormity of the, what we call scriptures today. Um, how, m- how many languages and how m- many copies have been sold and distributed around the world. And we land in this place after reading the words of Jesus and knowing um, the power that's in the gospel, that the scripture carries power and authority, not because of what it says, but because of who it points to. It is, it is, it is possible to go into scripture and to pull out a chunk of it and use it against its intended purpose, which is to point to Jesus. There's more on this later. All right, second part of this passage, starting in verse 43. Jesus says, For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. when he uh, uses the word honor here, I think um, just a clarity of that would be respect, value, and submission. So there's a, when I'm honoring someone, I'm respecting them. They get a level of respect from me. When I honor someone, I'm assigning them a value that they have value and worth because that's what my honor is doing. When I honor someone, there's a level of submission. So like, Assigning honor to someone, to something, means is requiring, is requiring a humility piece in me. So this one stings for, for me, personally. The modern church has become masters of forming movements and building a following to have, uh, but I have to be on guard. Um, and this one stings for me because I've been a part of systems 
where honor is incorrectly assigned. Uh, part of a religious machine um, that exalts men and women um, in, as individuals to levels of honor that is really only reserved for Jesus alone. I've lived it, I've walked it, it's okay. God used it. He was still faithful in it. You might have that same experience. And, and we see in our culture today that there's books and albums released in social media platforms um, that are all intended and in, in, in at the end of the day, they really want to build the name of the person. And we forget that that person is anointed by God for the work of the gospel. And somewhere in the process, we begin to look like modern day Pharisees. We trade truth of the gospel for a system of right behaviors. And we, we assign honor to the person who's telling us which behaviors are right and which behaviors are wrong. They tell us the right, the right way to parent and the right way to lead and the right way to pray and the right way to worship, the right way to give, the right way to serve, the right way to fill in the blank. And like the Pharisees, we break our backs trying to honor each other for the sake of being right. And all that does is it leaves less and less room to show honor to the one who is actually worthy. Again, this is hard um, because I post a lot on our church social media page. And I don't love social media. Like, look at my personal one. It's like six posts a year, you know, maybe. So why do we do that? Well, Jesus never stopped going to the synagogue, even though that's where the Pharisees hung out. He never stopped going into the marketplace. He never stopped sitting down and having uh, meals with sinners. He never stopped meeting people where they were. And if that's what we emulate, then we will continue to take the gospel into the far reaches. And in our culture, in our society, that means that we're going to use some tools. So the challenge, the challenge here is not to get off of social media because it's the, it's the enemy. No. The challenge is to, as a church, to walk into those platforms that are designed to assign honor. Like literally there's a button that hits, says like. You like it. I like it. I like that post. I like that video. I like that, that whatever. Instagram, it's a heart. I love it. I love, 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 love. Little, and, and, and we become, how much honor can we? It's like, I got 2,317 Honor clicks. That was a good photo. <laughs> Again, it's not, I'm not like, don't hear me like I'm not. We go in, we say, this is who God is. This is what he's doing in our lives. This is what is taking place in Arlington, Texas. This is what's happening uh, in the Methodist church. This is what we're doing um, because this is what we hear the Lord saying and how we're taking steps of obedience. And we say, come on, who wants to be a part of it? 
Um, and, and, and we let we let every single piece of that, if there's something that ignites, if there's a movement that's created, we take ourselves out of it. We take the, the, the list of, well, this is right, and this is wrong, and this is right, and this is wrong, and this is right, 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 do the list correctly. And we stop operating like Pharisees who with the best intentions saw the Son of God and chose their system of being right. And then the other piece that this points out to me, um, I think this is also why we see failure take place for our leaders in our church. It's because we assign honor to, to certain men and women that isn't for them. They were never designed to carry it. So as your pastor, tomorrow being my 60th day here, I would ask you, please do not honor me to the point of failure or burnout. You know, tongue-in-cheek, we practice mutual submission because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do that all day long, but if there is something that doesn't sit right in your spirit, come to me. There's no dishonor when we, when we approach each other in truth and love. And yet, culturally, there's a narrative that says, mm-mm, he's the pastor. Don't, do not honor me to the point of failure. <laughs> That's what I'm saying when I say that. Cool? All right. Last part of this super encouraging passage. Starting in verse 45. Yet it is an I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. You see, he's even pointing out. He's like, you're given, like you're, you got it backwards. Because if you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Jesus finishes up his rebuke. This is the last um, verses we have of this interaction with the Pharisees. Um, and just clarifying that their best intentions and steadfast allegiance to Moses was misplaced if it didn't awaken them a belief in Jesus, if it didn't lead them to the point of, of recognizing God when God walked into the, into the courtyard that day. And, and this got me thinking, I can't help but wonder uh, if when we reach eternity, if the, uh, if the welcome we're going to get from, uh, from some of our faith fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers, is going to be a little different than we think. Because he's saying, Moses, I don't have to say diddly to you. Moses is going to be the one to tell you that you got it wrong. So it's more abstract. But in verse 45, just follow me here. As Methodists, is there a possibility that when we get to heaven and we see Francis Asbury and Thomas Koch and John Wesley and Charles Wesley, that they say, man, well done, you did it, you made it. 
Now we need to talk about some things. Because <laughs> we have to be careful to, to, to live in the tension of honoring tradition and the, the pillars of our faith, but not assigning them an honor that is only for the Lord. And not being so beholden to a system, any system, that we're unable to recognize when God walks in the room and starts to move and it looks different than what my system says this interaction or this encounter or this move of the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like. Again, that first point of... um, we, we go to scripture and we find out that it points to Jesus. Well, Jesus is telling us this. Everything from Eden to eternity will either point forward or backwards to the cross. Everything from Eden to eternity points to Jesus as Lord and all of our honor should be directed accordingly. Because when, when the Lord returns, he's going to say, the work has been done. Sacrifice has been paid. Who has responded? Who has aligned themselves to the grace of the cross? He's going to call all of his people unto him. It'll be, it'll be from the cross to eternity. And then Jesus is saying, everything that was even before me, pointed to me, showed that, that this was about to take place and now I stand here in front of you and you reject me because I don't look like the system of right that you cling so dearly to. So what do we respect? What do we value? What do we submit to? The question for us today is tough and difficult in some different ways. And I'd like to ask everyone just to close your eyes, kind of get a little separation and, and, uh, and just listen for the voice of, of, of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're gonna take the words of Jesus and we're gonna walk them out in our lives today, I would ask you, Is there a person or system that you value more than you should? Is it a pastor, an author? Is it a church or denomination? Is it a hero of the faith? Is it a musician? Could be a politician. But a person or a system that you value more than you should. And you're like, well, I'm not entirely sure. So here, I'll, I'll ask that question in a different way. Again, keep, keep your eyes closed. Your, uh, if, would your faith be shaken if you discovered that they were fake or they were hypocrites? If the system was false? And then the second question is, 
where have you traded truth for a system of being right? Is it in your work? Maybe in your family? Might be in your marriage? Maybe even in your, in your faith? All right, you can open your eyes. I don't know the answers to these questions. And here's the cool part. I'm not supposed to know. I don't have to know. But as we ask those questions about our own lives, as we asked, where is there a kind of a Pharisee spirit that might be uh, working in the way I think about things and the way I process things? There's some challenge, but there's also some hope in that we are all capable of being Pharisees who reject truth. But we're all capable of just turning to the Lord and saying yes. That's that's the that's the the tough part. That's the paradox. That's the um, the the scandal of grace. There's a song that talks about the scandal of grace. That that we we as human beings are not that much different than the people that we read about in scripture who um, would go on to kill Jesus. Because they were so beholden to their system that when the Son of God came in to say, no, lay it down, accept this new way of living, accept this new covenant I'm offering to you, couldn't happen. But we also see that that's the exact thing that Jesus used to secure forever our forgiveness, our restoration.